Hey, I did it. First try. Cool. <clears throat> Good job. Are, are we streaming or not? I don't. No, we're, we aren't yet. Now we will okay. be. Okay, I just, I just wondered. I was just wondering if we missed the stream. Nope. Yeah. That's, that's... it. Okay. Okay. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another Flow Forward. This is your host here, Rob, coming to you on a Friday night because that's when we all agreed we'd do this. <laughs> I mean, you're not wrong. Yep. Uh, joining me tonight is Kat. Hi, Kat. Hi. Hi. Mark is here tonight. Hello. Hello. And Kevoir is joining us tonight. Hi, I think I exist. He thinks he exists. Do do you even need more than that? Or is that enough? (laughs) These questions and more will be answered tonight on Flail Forward. Because our... Hmm? I was going to say, I think, therefore, I am. But I don't have any evidence that you think. But I'm not fortunate. even sure. I'm not this, even sure that there's an I there. I think something thinks. Therefore, something has an experience. That's as much as I got. Yeah. Should probably actually go through and look at like the original reason of the guy who did that because he actually had pretty good reasoning of how he went through it. The cart. Yeah, I think it was. Yes. Descartes. Yes. I probably mispronounced the name too. Whatever. Are you like from a part of a country that speaks French? It... Anyway, never mind. Yeah, they speak like bastardized French. <laughs> that is true. Okay. I'm pretty sure my French is worse than yours, too. So I don't know where I get off saying that. <laughs> my French is definitely worse than yours. We. Oui. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> right. Anyway, our topic tonight uh, that we all agreed upon uh, were is what problem are we trying to solve in our game? This is games, perhaps, perhaps plural, perhaps just one game. Maybe, maybe I have several. Maybe, maybe Catrice has a lot of problems she's trying to solve with one game. I mean, I also have several games, some of which solve problems, most of them create them. (laughs) (laughs) That's another topic. It's which problems are you creating with your games? Yes. That that would be an interesting one. I don't know. Let's do both. (laughs) I don't think we have the time to do both, I'll be honest. No, I don't think that that would be good for a separate topic, but I think it would also be something that you're not going to understand most of the problems you're creating until they've been created. So, like, you'd have to be out of playtesting and have it released and find out what you have, what horror you have unleashed in this <laughs> world. Yeah. I, I don't need to get it to release to know what, to know some of the horrors I've created. Some of them, yeah. Some of them you can, but, like, the full extent, I... I think it needs to be in the wild. Mm-hmm. I think you're right. So, um, I guess the idea behind this topic is really to say we all approached starting game design with an idea of making something that presumably didn't already exist. Um, and 
that solves sort of a need that is present in the RPG space because nothing is currently there to fill that void. Uh, no, so that's kind of the problem, I guess. Or that we knew or of. We didn't know. Yeah, there's right. there's definitely there's so many thousands of games now, like you can't keep track of them all. Like definitely. There's probably something that touches on at least some of what your initial issues were, and you'll probably never even know it exists. Yeah. That's very true. And I guess the joke is that we've all most of us got our starts with D and D or Powered by the Apocalypse games. Um, so that's usually the go-to of our question of why or what problem in D and D were you trying to fix? Um, but uh, yeah, mm-hmm. should we should we start going going through the list? Um, let's start with Cat. Cat, yeah. <laughs> oh, tell geez. us. I don't think that's the optimal place to start. This is a terrible place to start. Let's start with Mark, and then then we'll do Rob, and then we'll do Caprice. And if we want, we can have bonus Kevlar round. Because I do have an answer for this question. It's just not... I think Kevlar round probably should go before mine, because it's probably semi-short. It's short. It's just not insightful. Fair enough. Anyway, you've been voluntold first, Mark. Okay. Um, <laughs> sure. Well, I guess I can just talk about, I'll just ramble about how I started. Um, and it was mostly because I had finished playing a game of Skyrim. And I loved the concept of how every action that I did in the game was reflected in who my character was. Um and even since starting to play Skyrim, there are other games that I, I love that concept in. Um, I was talking about the game called The Outer Worlds, where you kind of do a bunch of actions and then you get flaws that exist in your character based on the stuff that you've done. So if you get into a fight with the wrong kind of enemy too often or they like really wreck you, then you develop a phobia. And it becomes harder the next time you fight that enemy. Um, And I really love that idea where you got to tell a story via the specific things that occurred to your character or the specific ways they approached solving the problems. Um, And I felt like that was something that I didn't see enough of in the kinds of games that I was playing in the role play space. Um, And I wanted to see how I could kind of bring that idea to the table. Um, So my game started with the idea of whatever you, whatever actions you take, you mechanically get better at those actions. Um, And then from there, I tried just having at the very beginning, it was sort of like a core set of actions. Like if you attacked with magic, you got better at magic. If you attacked with swords, you got better at swords. Um, But then I wanted to take that concept sort of further um, and that's where it started to get into the idea of like developing a praxis for your character, where you get to write down basically anything that your character is specifically good at doing, um, and that that grows and develops with your character, and that you develop new praxes, and they they kind of work together. That this similar theme of the types of actions that you're doing, um, whether it's physical or mental or weird, um, that they all kind of feed into who your character becomes and you get to see that evolution over the course of your game. So I think the the core sort of 
issue, or I guess the core uh, focus of my game design was around being able to tell the story of your character through how they worked mechanically. Um, yeah, and that was my my approach to it that I haven't seen much of in the game space in RPGs, okay. I guess. Okay, so just nice, simple one concept, nothing weird. <laughs> you, yeah, you, get, you were you didn't so you didn't start making a game out of spite. It's is the problem. <laughs> yeah, no. There's uh, there's no anger in my game. It wasn't like oh I could do this game but much better. Um, it was sort of like originally just the concepts. Um, and I mean my my first game definitely came out as a D and D clone, but not because I was trying to make D and D but better, but just because that's what I knew. And then the more I got into understanding game design, the more it changed. And now it addresses, I guess, a few, uh, like it has a few niche elements that I guess aren't as common in the RPG space, like the deck building. Um, But it specifically ties back to how am I able to solve that initial problem? Um, Okay. Yeah. So. So. I inadvertently made the order wrong next, so let's roll lots more time. <laughs> yeah, time for what? Um, I mean, I have I, I know what problems I was trying to solve with. I mean, I can take you through it, but it's just going to... I'm not sure. All right, let's do this. Go for it. How fast yeah. I can do this. Do it, um, do it, do it, do it, do it. <laughs> so, initially... Let me see. What was what was really the first thing I wanted to do with Ashes? Um, hmm. I suppose initially I wanted a game that um, hmm. Ashes didn't start with design goals. <laughs> is really, I think, probably the truth. Yeah. It, uh, it it started because I was messing around with um, this idea of a squad based tactical. Uh, I mean, it really didn't have any RPG components at it. It was like a more complicated war game. Mm. Um. And uh, I was I was messing around with certain ideas, and I, I wanted I had some some ideas of where some things I didn't want to do. Right, so there there was there were some things like I, I wanted to be a certain complexity level. I didn't want to have um, a lot of uh, tracking from round to round. I wanted things to be resolved with you know with one roll for the most part. Um, uh, for for there to be minimal bookkeeping and looking things up during the game, so that there was an emphasis on the game flowing well. Um, so yours was more of a mechanical problem at first that you were trying. Yeah, to... it was. It was really like I I would like to do squad based com. I like the idea of squad based combat because um, the idea of uh, one of the things I like in in video games, and particularly uh, like action RPGs, is like having um, 
having a character that is that gets enough like helpers or uh pets or um uh compatriots or something like that to to basically be their own D D party right uh, and, I, and i wanted to represent that in an rpg because i think it's interesting because i think party, party composition is is something you can do interesting things with right so you could have a wizard this mm-hmm. that's a, a powerful wizard but he's got instead of you know three other withers, wizards with him he's got three fighters and he gets into the thick of things just because he's protected by three guys in plate mail and uh that you know is an interesting concept um one of the ones one of the concepts a player of mine came up with was was just heavily armored archers that would and that was it just like four like commando type guys that would were very tough and very shooty and it it was an interesting concept but it, it's it's not like I, I built the game to do that uh but the idea is that you could do you conceptualize uh quite a bit with with the rules and and the game would mechanically support it was something i was striving for as well um so yeah, there was there's a, a, a jumble of uh ideas things that i was trying to like like i don't know if i was solving problems per se i was more like trying to design out annoyances in places where i felt it would be it was low hanging fruit i suppose Okay. Um, yeah. And then that's sort of, that's evolved to a place where like I got interested in design and the idea of design, you know, what, what actually makes a good role-playing game and um, how do you construct a game that builds, that scaffolds an interesting story for everybody at the table. And as as I've gone through and designed and redesigned Ashes several times at this point, um, the focus now is definitely on uh, how do what what the problem I'm trying to solve is how do you start from several a couple of choices at the beginning of a game and then. Uh, allow that to procedurally generate all of the most of the content. So the the, the problem I'm really trying to solve, I've been trying to solve with Ashes for the last couple of years, is um, how do how do you how do you create a storyline for the players whereby they are maximally engaged. And you as the GM or guide have very little prep to do outside of the game. Mm. So, so something where, where you don't have to do a lot of out-of-game um, bookkeeping or even in-game bookkeeping. Uh, and then you don't have to... I, one of the things that I, I, I feel is a problem in, in RPGs in general is when the the GM is either um, uses pre-prepared adventures, which are never, I don't know. I feel like pre-written adventures are rarely a good fit for any given table. Um, 
it, it they they tend to assume too much, um, and okay. so they kind of have to. They have to, right? Yeah, because you're writing for a wide audience, but you can't you can't tweak it, you know, and you have to rely on the GM to tweak it. But sometimes I don't know. It feels like it's a very kludgy way of doing it, um, and so the idea is that the what happens in the story should be explicitly tailored to the choices the players have made to involve themselves in certain things uh and but that would normally require a lot of uh attention and choices on on the gm's part uh because you're basically creating the idea that it would be like something you're creating like five different narratives for these characters um, because you're tailoring the narratives to each of them. So that would be a lot of work normally. So the thing I'm trying to solve is how do you build a game whereby the choices the players make put seeds or tags on a the map of the story so that they can continually come back to that thing and re-engage with it. So that like there, there's not the guide is in charge of putting sort of fleshing out what happens, but the the arcs and the um the overall storyline sort of writes itself using the player's choices. Uh, I okay there's I want to agree with that and expand on it a bit, but I also want to say something before I forget about it, which is that when you were describing this from like where you started out, mm-hmm. like you're basically, your issue was that you didn't have game design experience. So you didn't know what you were doing to start with. And as you mm-hmm. learned, you base, each time you recreated your game, you were basically creating a new game that just happened to be based on the previous one. It's basically each of these is a sequel to the, the, pre- yeah. the predecessors. So I was almost going to be like, okay, well, because of that, on your current iteration is really, why are you creating this game? Like, what problems did the previous iteration not address that you now realized had to be dealt with and you basically went through that mm. yeah yeah that that's the thing i'm trying to solve now is the that's that that's the thing i've been trying to solve for a while is the the self-generating adventure the story arc right so it's not because in some sense i suppose i in games I've played and in games I've run for sure, it, there's been this sort of thing where it's really hard to cater to everybody at the table because everybody wants something slightly different out of the game. Mm-hmm. And is- yeah. Sorry, what were you going to say? Oh, I, I think that's part of the issue, but part of it is really just that if you want the players to, to do things that are like self-generating new plot lines, there's only really two main, okay, three main things I can think of that matter, which would be the player's character or characters having an actual personality 
that there's actually a solid background that exists for like the setting mm -hmm. so that like it can generate new plot threads as well. Like it'll be inspiration for them. And the third one is player agency. Mm -hmm. Like player, okay, you have a character that has a personality. They're in an interesting setting and you give the character the ability to do stuff in the setting it will spawn new stories mm -hmm. just because those three things exist. Like it's not really possible for that not to generate a new story. Yeah. I mean that, that, yeah, yeah, I think you're right. That is, that is what I've got. So you, I do have a way for the characters to get personality quite easily. Um, and then what's nice about that is those personality traits also situate them in their communities, which builds out um, the part of the setting that they are touching. And then um, those communities uh, have their own, each have their own problems. And so those things become the player's problems because they, they because they chose a trait that they share with this community they de facto care about the problem that the community has because it, it's something that they care about. Um, so that's how I, that's how I, at this point, that's how I let the players tell me what the game is about or let, let the players tell the guide what the game is about. So they, they, um, they pick certain things for their characters and uh, from those choices, they, um, they, they're given some choices as to how, wh like, what went wrong with the community, uh, and that. Mm, okay, maybe that's too too much of a rabbit hole right now to go down. But well, I mean, it's 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 yeah. I, mean, I don't need. I don't think I need to explicate the entire like system in order to get to my point, but. No, that's probably true. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, I know you're right about the whole thing, like being sequels to itself. Like I probably should have, uh, you know, there are points where I was pretty close to releasing something mm -hmm. and looking back, I probably should have put in like the extra two months of work on each of those and just put it out. Uh, at least I would have. you have like a, a an eight game resume. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, at least at least three three solid ones. Like there are three versions. There have been three versions of this game that I would consider done. Uh, you know, except for fact it didn't solve what you wanted to, to solve it didn't do right. something that it was supposed to well it got to the point where it was like oh i knew i know what the game it needs to be a, the, the game is missing this one part i know it needs this one part i don't know what this part needs to look like oh it's missing this part okay oh the shit that actually makes me need to go back and redo a mm -hmm. bunch of other parts because the part that it ends up needing has this ripple effect on the other parts in order for this part to work it's going to have to change these others and yep. that happened pretty, yeah. That is basically extra editions of the game, essentially. Yep. 
Well, I mean, I think there is something to say about you becoming a better designer at each of those steps. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. you, the, the third time you make a game, it's going to be better than the first time you make a game. Um, and same goes with anything. So, I mean, if you want to design something that's great that really addresses the issue that you're looking for, then like you're you're on your your way to doing it now. Like you've you've I don't know, no regrets for what you like could have had before because you might have also stopped there. Yeah, um, you'd release yeah. that game. So um, it's good to know where your your game is heading and that you know how to address it much better now than you did before because that just says that you're gonna make a product that actually solves what you're wanting it to solve. Mm-hmm. I there, hope so. Yeah. so. Some other advantages to this as well is you don't run into anchoring yourself down in certain ways as well. Because unfortunately, there's a reason why a lot of game companies, especially like video game companies, are more known for this, where they will not release any information if they can at all help it until the last possible moment because anything that gets changed players get picky about things that change mm-hmm. like yeah but you promised me this it's like yeah but it wasn't fun but you promised me it wasn't fun though so we changed it so it's fun yeah but you changed it after you promised this right I know I've, I've definitely seen that in <laughs> there. Yeah. We, yes. Yes. That's, that's certainly a thing. We've all seen that in online video game chat communities where it's where, where something gets released at a time. And, and uh, I mean, Diablo threes, I think a pretty good example of certain things, just having wildly different impacts than projected. Um, and any change, any change for the overall better upset the player base inevitably. <laughs> so, yeah, but uh, this is also something yeah. that we've all seen in tabletop games as well because mm-hmm. fourth edition D D. Yeah, because yeah. there was a lot of stuff that people changed, and they, it was like, well, this isn't D D anymore. Mm-hmm. It's like no, it's still D and D at its heart. Like it, they changed a lot of the specific details of how stuff worked, but it it was still basically what D and D was supposed to be. It just wasn't what people thought it should be because once something had been put into place, there's certain things they can't get out of anymore. Like they have to release something else that's not called D and D to be able to fix some of D and D's problems, and they can never do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I mean, so that's that's it might be for the best that you did not release, and you can actually make the game that you think should be released. I mean, I hope so, uh, but I probably should have at least. Um, well. I don't know. I mean, maybe, maybe that's the case. Maybe that's the case where where you know the 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 game changed has changed enough so that there's concepts line up. But at this point, it's mechanically not the 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 two the the first version of this and the current version of this are nowhere near each other mechanically. Um, like the first the first version had. Um, 
heterogeneous dice pools as the main mechanic and um you know improving skills and whatnot made your it was like it was like a dice pool of savage worlds uh and uh which you know for a squad based game makes a certain kind of sense uh but it also makes roles take way longer to to uh resolve than they really should uh and you know a whole lot of that went away so yeah. now it's just d10s and d6s i mean um, it's one of those things where it's like the concept might have sounded great on paper but then mm-hmm. once you actually tried putting it into practice you realized all the downsides that come with it yeah and even when i made like Jeez, I don't know. I, I think I made like fifty or so custom dice for for uh, the for that particular version of the game. Um, it, it it worked reasonably well. It was still it was still just um, just cumbersome enough uh, that that it wasn't worth it you know it was like i i it was clear i was hitting a wall of my own design goal for for the product where where you know the flow of the game would get stifled by fiddling around with the dice too much um so you know that was that was a big that was a big change that that the game underwent where i just pitched out like the entire mechanical system at one point and started over uh because like i had i was aware that there was a real problem with the dice mechanic you know there was it was just too too clumsy it was too right yeah Yeah, that's kind of what i'm doing at the moment Mm. there's certain things that are just it was a nice idea but it basically turned into a huge problem mm-hmm. yeah some things sometimes you have to gut certain systems if it's just breaking everything in the process yeah you have to be willing to do that if i mean yeah it, it can take a lot of time and effort and it can suck but and sometimes yeah you can be like well i'll I'll do a patch that'll fix it. It's like, if you're redoing half the game, no, you're not doing that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So sometimes you simply have to be like, if I don't fix it now, it's never going to be fixed. It has to be done. Right. Well, Mark, you did, you had a huge change in your game as well when you went from dice to cards. Oh, yeah. So I mean, you pitched like the entire thing. Like as far as I can tell, like everything went away except for the name. <laughs> yeah, the, some of the concepts stuck around, but they definitely changed forms pretty dramatically. Like it's weird to go back and see the game that it used to be because it's so different now. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, but yeah, there was still sort of that that vague idea of like you. I want the character to be able to do something and to improve at it. Um, but yeah, the, the game went through like a major overhaul, um, and I'm I'm glad um, that I got the advice of a mentorship program that I like went through to to basically pitch my game to 
four experts or four people that are in the RPG industry. Mm-hmm. And they were just like, oh, you're, oh, so you're making a D&D clone. And I was like, um, no, it's different for X, Y, and Z small changes. And they were like, okay, we play more games. And, right. uh, <laughs> um, and that was super helpful um, because, yeah, it, uh, it opened my eyes to just being like, well, what is the concept of the game that I'm really trying to, to zero in on? And how best do I design mechanics to focus on that concept as opposed to just like, here's what I know. Here's what other people know. Uh, let's staple it together with what I want to change. Um, so it, it let me sort of scrap all the stuff that, I don't know, was not moving me towards that goal and mm-hmm. really start from uh, sort of a ground zero. Um, and it was really going back to that drawing board of like, what is the concept of the game? Um, and like you said, we're like with um, Ashes, you didn't really start with a design goal in mind. I also didn't. Um, it was just like, here are some cool concepts that I think would work. Mm-hmm. And then uh, it had to like, I just remembered sitting down for a few days and just kind of being like, is this what my game design concept is? Like, is this what I'm going to be going coming back to and really saying like this is what praxis is about um and once i had that nailed down then everything else kind of like came from there um so yeah what was the choice to do cards why why do that um well i wanted to have something where it was um well, I guess it solved a few issues. One, I wanted it to be uh, a game where it was open enough that you could um, like define your own things, like your, define your own features for your characters as you went on. Um, so being able to work with the cards and, and write on them like I do with my game was really helpful because it was um, uh, like an easy way, I guess, of marking things up. You get to like whatever, jot that down. Uh, and while you could do that on a character sheet, what I liked about the cards was that it became a physical uh, interpretation of your character. Um, and even from that first version of Praxis, one of my like design goals was to try to have everything be physically represented. Um, I love the idea of like the um, the Genesis dice or the mm-hmm. Edge of the Empire dice, where you got to like look at the table, you saw symbols, and then you interpreted the symbols to be able to like help narrate the story moving forward um so i liked that idea with the cards where you could physically have a card in hand that would tell you what your character might be able to do um and that was helpful for the players as sort of a guiding cue of like this is what my character could do and what they're thinking um but also for the gm if the gm had this then it becomes a cue becomes cues of the story of like these are the setting elements that they care about so right. i like that idea that it was physically presence in the play space where everyone gets to interact so that was that was the the cards concept i guess um it just changed the randomizer from being um i want to do this action i roll a die and the randomizer comes after to like you have a random set of sort of cards that are actions that you have in your hands and then you get to play one of those so that was the the concept i was working with um and it, it worked out. So I, I really like the, the cards now. I like how they play. I like the flow. It, it does that add a different element that I'm not familiar with in games. Like, there aren't that many that work with cards, but I think it's sort of a, 
uh, a great tool for what Praxis tries to do and represents and that you get to see your deck grow and change as you develop yeah. that character. So Yeah, particularly most games don't ask you to write on the cards either. Right, yeah. So, no, it's, uh, it, it becomes, I know one of our first few talks actually with, uh, with this like flail forward before we even started recording, I think, was mm-hmm. about um, relics and plumbobs. I think was the name. Oh yeah, that, uh, and um, this was like a Fred topic, mm-hmm. and um, I really love the idea of having these relics at the end of your game, where you could look back on it and be like, "This is the character sheet. I remember all of these things that happened because it's all written here." And that's the kind of stuff that I would do, where I'd pick up a character sheet like three years after the campaign ended and I'd be like, Oh yeah, this is the the Hydra shield that we built using the scales from the Hydra that we killed. Like that was awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I wanted that kind of idea to be there in praxis because the concept of who that character is, is so important. So it felt like the, the deck of cards really suited this well, where it's like, everything is contained here. Your character story is there. All the cards that you've like had to lose along the way can be kept there all the cards that you've had to like mark up and change and it's all just contained in that box so i I love that idea yeah i think it's an interesting idea if it ever if you ever take it to kickstarter their custom decks would be really interesting to do yeah the um i remember i looked into it when i there was one point where i'd gotten like a good mentor from within the RPG community. And I had, was looking at all the pricing and all the options. And this was just before COVID mm. uh, where, uh, yeah, I was already like talking to some groups about potentially helping put it up in their stores and stuff like this. Um, but everything kind of took a back seat for a little while. Um, yeah. So I, I would love to get back into it, but I'm going to try to finish my PhD first and then uh, <laughs> probably a good idea. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. The, the game itself is pretty much written. Um, I'm doing some formatting and layout right now, and then hopefully being able to take it to Kickstarter and see what uh, the rest of the community thinks is great. But yeah, fingers crossed it gets there. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. What about um, you, Kevor? Yeah. Okay. So um, <laughs> how my game design works is uh, I decide. Uh, I decided I'm going to run something. Uh, I look at my options for ways to sit uh, for existing things to simulate like what I want to do and like why I think they would do well or why I think I can do better. And then I spend three hours and at the end of it, I either have a game or realize that I couldn't write something that I felt was adequate and ignore it for the rest of my life. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Occasionally, I will go back to something, but uh, most of the games that I actually like are for the ideas were coherent enough that I had a playable version within three hours, and I don't know how to explain how the process works. But um, for things that are specifically connected to the actual topic at hand, um, I was trying. I was thinking uh, there's a game that I guess anybody could ask for if. In our in our server, just to advertise that uh, that where I wrote uh, trying to cap a game, trying to capture some uh, how do I phrase this? Trying to make a non uh, non uh, 
God, how do I... Sorry, there's... I'm trying to get at a very certain topic. Um, okay, so I tr- I wrote a game that was about playing weird pastoral witches uh, because I wanted to make... Uh, because I wanted to do something with PVTA, like it was specifically a PVTA game where there was very little physical violence, but it was still uh, where everything was still intense and like had the same flow because it seemed like the correct way to do this for being the little, the people who uh, were the peacekeepers between the two uh, opposing communities, like the supernatural creatures that one night. And the immortal villagers who have to deal with them. I forgot what I had a talk. I had a point when I started this conversation, <laughs> and I have lost it. I am so sorry. Pastoral, which is solving a problem with PBTA nonviolentness. Yeah, basically, I wanted to see if I could make a properly functional non uh, non like physically violent or the. the with, I don't like that term entirely, but basically what I was trying to do is think, make PVTA game that is functionally PVTA game and flows like a PVTA game, but where punching people is not an option because realistically mm. you would do, you were, maybe one of you would be competent in a fight, maybe. Got it. <laughs> and you definitely do not want to, <laughs> definitely cannot take on all the... <laughs> Yeah, I found an old. I I was just looking. I just found an old a uh, old character sheet. I'm gonna post it. Hang on. Okay. This is boy. Looks like version. Okay, so this is this is super long, man. All right. I'm gonna I'm gonna put it up on the stream real quick just because it's it's goofy as well. Okay. <laughs> okay. I will watch the stream then. As oh I So that thing I vaguely remember seeing that years ago. Yeah. So that thing was the original um like weave that you would do so so when you were doing weird you would place a token on you would cover up one of these um circles basically and then get the get that bonus so the more like weird you were spending you were building towards bigger effects on one um on one branch of this thing so that was super cumbersome, but it was the idea was, you know, you're you're actively, um, you are actively improving at something during the fight, basically. So you are, your your character is adapting to the situation as it happens. So I wanted a really dynamic combat feel. Um, so that was one way I try to do that and then the actual character sheet it's interesting it's still called weird mage at the top so that was in the idea of weird was in the game from like so, the very beginning there's something about that sheet that already bothers me which one um up scroll back up to the top and it's that uh some of those 
positions you invest points into and mm -hmm. you don't get any benefit from it. Yeah, I know. That actually bugs me that you're putting more power in and not getting any effect out of it. Mm -hmm. So one of the things that happens is when you, you also get something when you remove tokens from this. Uh -huh. So um, <clears throat> investing in the point past the D10, for example, on any of these things means when you, um, if you choose to pull off the weird before you get to the D12, you get like double the benefit from the D10. Huh. The rule set was really strange as well. Um, I mean, I'm working on this chart, I would never would have guessed that the rule set was strange. <laughs> <laughs> and then here's here's like the character sheet character sheet, which has still says like some of the terminology from that's that's in the game still. I mean renown and presence. I know presence is still there. Uh, renown's gone. Magical source, I guess, is Arcana. Um attachments uh are guess I guess values now, appearance is now visage, crest mask. Has sort of gone away. Um, the stats were just fight, magic, prowess, and explore. And I guess really the only one of those I have to explain is prowess, uh, because it's really not self-evident how it's different from fight. Uh, so prowess is your defensive slash strategic stat in this game. Um, and then there were uh, you tracked wounds on your. This was a squad-based game, remember? So you had multiple characters and you could put them in different ranks. I don't know what I was thinking there. Um, resources that's still in the game. Um, and I had these little, like, these are very specific uses for resources, obviously. So medicinal herbs, um, a Bane scroll, which is like magic missile, alchemist flask would disable a mechanical trap, a, Volley was make a fight check at range, so that's shooting and spell components make magical attacks. So that would be so those two well, things still happen. Much more discreet than the current version. Yeah, although this is still like all of these things are kind of still in the game somewhat, I guess really. I mean volley and spell components are for sure. That's how you make that's the limiting factor on on those things or resources, but hmm. um fatigue doesn't really exist. I mean, it's been spread out to the other vitalities. So uh, reason, resolve, and resilience are uh, what sort of does fatigue's job. There was on another sheet, there was probably something called stress at one point. Um, and then initiative is totally gone at this point, and movement is pretty similar, I guess. Um, and then, oh, and you are also locked into uh, your main avatar, your weird mage, and that a warrior, an expert, and a magic user. And uh, I think you could change up one of those choices based on your renown. Mm -hmm. So you would get you would get a different. You could have like two magic users, or you could have two warriors or two experts, or something like that. Anyway, that was, it's just interesting to see where my head was as far, I haven't looked at this in a long time, but it's, it's weird. The game got more complicated and then now it's, it's closer to like this simple, right? This simpler thing. Um, 
that actually happens a lot in game yeah. design. Found is that you you go through a period of adding more features mm-hmm. and more concepts, but when you first add them, they're basically clunky implementations. And then you could do like a streamlining process and boil it down to how it the more optimal way of trying to actually run it. Yeah. 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 I mean, contrasting. That's my other, that's my sheet now. Your sheet now is much prettier and much more incomprehensible to it. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I suppose it is. It's, uh, yeah, there's there's more to explain on it. I I need I need to do something about that because the uh, uh well I do sort of explain it in the in the booklet, but so I that that's I guess I don't know. I've been struggling with the idea of, of playbooks. Uh, you know, is there a way to do a generic like playbook style thing? Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, it, I mean, it's it's turned into the, the booklet so so the character sheet is really uh is recording the changes that take place uh as you're as you open the story and start it and then and then uh as you keep moving through your character sheet keeps changing but it changes in the same way as it does during character creation or which is never really ends i suppose so so, so yeah to focus this a bit more what was this trying to solve that was causing a problem for you? Mm. Good question. Um, that part in particular was that um, I've always felt character backstories are better the later you are in the game. Uh so the more you've played the character, the better the backstory is. And I suppose I'm just emphasizing that with the design so that, um, so, so, so your part of your backstory is built out by the fact that you make choices at the start of the game that set up your background and then also the society's background. Um, and, uh, those, those choices, uh, don't have, Aren't you're not necessarily saddled with them, but you're not. I guess the world is. Uh, but you can go back and fill out your backstory as something that happens during the game. So, um, so yeah. So the so so you don't really ever stop doing character creation. It's just you haven't done that piece yet, and one of the things that always that was that's always tricky about RPGs is how involved do you make character creation? Like, yeah, yeah, it's the kind of thing where it's like PBTA does a, 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 you know, a pretty wise move in that they have these playbooks where it's like, you need this print this piece of paper out and then like check off boxes and fill in lines. But basically the rules are for the most part on your sheet um and but what i've found is that 10 that 
it feels samey and you, you, you feel like there's not a lot of, I mean, I feel like there's not a lot of customization when you do that. And so, um, even though the details of the character change, like I'm, I'm, it's more interesting to me to build a mechanically unique character, um, either through like a point by thing or through, uh, like modular template building, which is what levels are. Um, but all that takes a long time, right? So you don't want to do that necessarily before the game starts and you know what choices are good and what choices are not good. So to me, it's always like, I think D&D does a does. Yeah, it does. I think D&D does a decent job of like allowing, you know, some additions do better than others, obviously, but allowing you to sort of shape your character as you play it. Um, and I'm just taking that idea to, I guess, as far as you could logically take it, whereas all, all of your characters is created as from the middle out as you're playing through the story, you're filling in backstory, and that backstory actually has a mechanical impact on your character now because you're saying, basically you're saying like, oh yeah, I remember how to do this because why X, Y, Z. Or I was involved with this community before the wrath, and um, uh, so I have. I, I'm used to this situation. I have this particular skill. I know this particular lore. Um, and when you do that, what's what's cool about that is that when you do that, you, you align yourself with that community, and meaning you are bringing that community's problems into into the game. So one of the ways you you start new threads is by um, filling out filling out your backstory and having the setting elements in your backstory impact the um, what's set up in the future basically yeah. okay <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah. I, I think that's really interesting um we, uh, I, I think it might have uh, uh, taken away from some of what Kevor was going to describe. Or what was I going to? What are you saying? I was going to do because I wasn't going to do anything. Oh, okay. I, I just <laughs> thought you hadn't explored everything from uh, your your game design process yet. But maybe I'm uh, my game design process has nothing to do with salt. Well, I guess it's kind of solving a problem, but it, it's generally instanced, and it's generally I'm trying to accomplish something, which is kind of different than problem solving in a weird okay. way. Okay. Like the problem solving in steps, but it's not like oh, I want I want to make a game that does this. Although there is something I'm looking at making that is a bit weird. But uh, the problem with me actually pursuing it is uh, it has so much anti-fun built into its poor cre- core premise that I don't actually want to try to pursue it. Wait, what? <laughs> it, has a, it has so much anti-fun built into its core premise that I don't actually think I should bother trying to pursue it. Huh. Makes sense. How, how do you mean anti-fun? I mean, uh, God, I'd have to get into what the game actually is. Uh, okay, I don't. Th- I, I don't want to have this conversation during the episode, so we're going to save it for after the episode. One quick thing, then, could I give a quick definition for anti-fun and see if it matches with what you were thinking? 
Yes, you can, and it's going to match. But I, to be, oh. Rob was asking for specifics, and I don't. No. Uh, all right. Good enough, then. I guess it's not needed. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you can, and I'll, and I'll make sure that it's the same. But oh, okay. Like the way I had seen Antifun described originally was that it adds. Mm, it subtracts more fun from the game than it adds. Like that's yeah. not necessarily a bad thing, though. I I mean specifically in the context I was using it is there like yeah like there's a lot of things that are going to subtract from the experience built into the experience, which is a problem fundamentally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I could see that being I a complicated mm-hmm. issue to deal with, like. It might be possible to work on it, but if if you have like the fundamental basics are contradictory to like your goals, then it's gonna be you can do it probably if you work at it long enough. But it's, but it's not worth it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, anyway, no, uh, I guess if nobody else has anything that they want to say about their like problems that they're trying to solve. Let's go to the person who I think uh, is 100% uh, like oriented towards this. Let's fix problems <laughs> in game design. <laughs> and Catrice, you have the floor until we interrupt you. <laughs> wow. Oh dear. Okay. Mm-hmm. Actually to start off with, I'm just going to point out that I had worked in game design, made several games before this, so I already kind of knew that I should have goals plotted out from the start. So, to give an idea, it is currently... I have design goals, I just they're just not problem-related. Sorry. I, I mine, mine, I mine definitely are for the most part. Not well, always, plus. but for the most part. So, like, it is now March 20th, 2021. The file I have for the goals dates back to the last time it was edited was April 28th, 2015. So I've been working on this for at least about six years. I think it was actually, yeah, just I think it was about mid-March when I would have started it maybe early March. So yeah, about six years. So I'm actually going to go through like the goals I have written down here for the most part, just to give you an idea of like the various things that I was working on. And some of these you will recognize are very explicitly referencing D&D. Some are actually referencing other games. Some are just kind of generic things, but you'll also probably notice that some of these I've addressed, like the vast majority of these, I'm actually kind of satisfied with the outcome of where they currently are. Like, I think I've actually met most of these goals. There are some that I have definitely not, and I might have gone the other way. So, um, yeah. First of these is one that I do not think that I ended up entirely reaching, 
in some ways, yes, in other ways, definitely not, which is to provide a low skilled floor for new players to have an easy to learn introduction to tabletop role playing games. Because I didn't like at the time what D&D was. Your first game for most people is usually D&D, and it's not actually that good at being the first game to to play. Mm-hmm. So I think I might have wandered off away from that at some point. <laughs> maybe, maybe at the maybe at the point when your page count exceeded actually no I just remembered why your page count at some point and never mind carry on yeah it's actually not not mechanics for the most part <laughs> you like feel the need of... to say everything in the, as concrete detail as possible with as little ambiguity as possible and that's why you have why your game is so long that certainly doesn't help it there now anyway so another goal, this was to allow for a high skill ceiling, which progresses with character levels that advanced players will still be entertained long-term. Because in a lot of games, I found that the skill that you, you need to play the game, like it, it plateaus pretty early on and it, you don't really learn more about playing the game as you keep going. So it's like, you don't just keep getting new stuff to do. So this actually turned into infinite scaling in the game. That's actually part of why I'm doing the major rewrite at the moment is I determined that infinitely scaling stats were a pain. Yes. Not worth that. Because mm-hmm. They were nice, but there are other ways to have infinite scaling. Like, it's more lateral lateral progression when you basically get level cap now. So I can balance it based on, I know how strong you're going to be. You're just going to get more options to work with that you can possibly stack together to get a little stronger than it would be otherwise. But it's much more concrete now. Um, any questions on those before I move on? No, no, no. right now. Uh, let's see. More goals. Emphasis upon player choices, both in and out of combat. Because I really hate games where they're basically automated the entire time and the player does not need to exist. I have played quite a few RPGs where somebody has actually gotten up to go to like the washroom or something and somebody else is just like, yeah, we can just play your character for you. And it's like, that's, that should not be possible. Like that the player choice is the main point at which they're interacting with the game if your choices don't matter because your your gameplay is so automated that it's like, what are you going to do? I'm going to attack. And then we roll the dice to pretend that this is a choice that's being made, but really the dice are doing all the work for you. That irritates the hell out of me. And it's not 
restricted to DMD. There's there's a lot of games that have that problem, where it's like your your character's choices almost don't matter. And that was one of the first things that I absolutely wanted to make sure that my game addressed. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I probably had too many choices, but... <laughs> as long as they're all distinct, and as long as you are willing to be the bad person that I know you are and actually make them viable, go for it, Catrice. Not justifiable, but also, I've actually tried to make sure to keep it so that everything is structured in such a way that players are never faced with more than three to five choices at a time. So they might have like a ton of different choices available, but most of them are not applicable and can't be used at the moment. So like in combat... Your combo openers, if you start with a combo opener, you only have a few of those to choose from if you want to use like your martial abilities. So you start with, I'm going to do a combo opener that applies like poison to a target. Okay, that means that your next set of choices are going to be, what am I going to do that affects a poison target? So... Yeah, basically your choices all guide you towards doing, you know, smaller choices that make sense in relation to one another. And it just has a natural flow to it that I'm aiming for. So I think I've mostly gotten away with this one. I'm actually kind of happy with it. It's um, yeah. great. Yeah. Do you have more that you wanted to say? Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. I was just making a noise. No, uh, that's basically it. I was just going to see if there's anything else before moving on. Because mm. mm-hmm. there's a lot of these. It's like a little over a page. Not a lot, but they're point form. So even if they're double spaced. what What's the main way you give players choices besides lists of powers? Well, it's not just, it's not just lists. A lot of it's more like guidance. So you, you often get the option to fill in the blanks yourself, but you're given a prompt so that there is a blank that you recognize there is something that should go here. So fill it in with something which I found is extremely useful because a lot of the time, if you do not prompt a player, they will not know that there's an option. If you give them discrete choices, but you do not explicitly tell them, you can do your own thing. They will not realize that there was a choice to begin with. They'll only pick from what's on the list. But if you don't make it clear that there is actually something to do here, they like if you don't ask them what do you do then they're not going to realize there are choices if you just say what do you do but you leave it as a totally blank open-ended question without any kind of like 
default answers like say you're stuck in the ocean like which direction do you want to go it's like that doesn't tell me anything i don't know it's like okay you can see land off in the distance it looks like a little island over another ship direction there's like a cruise ship you but there's like some sharks fins poking out of the water between you and it there looks like there's a storm coming from another direction but there's a lifeboat that's a little bit towards the storm so like what do you want to do suddenly becomes like there are options to work with you know that there's stuff you can do and it's not just that oh these options exist it's that because they're open-ended like just saying what is there it also implies that you can decide to do something that might not be on that list like it's like okay so there's stuff around do i see any birds in the sky because you started looking at like the other stuff is like there are any other things that stand out to me that might be useful information for making a decision it's like when you put things in that kind of perspective i've personally found it makes it much much easier for players to actually make choices and to to be basically prompted to be like you can do something with this. Here's some ideas of the kind of stuff that I'm expecting from you. So, you know, what line of reasoning to work with. Mm-hmm. Now that you're in that mindset, you can probably figure something out on your own much easier. But yeah, mm-hmm. I, I kind of tried to do that with the entire, <clears throat> with the entire setup. So um, social system is you can do your own things based on what, like you can just choose to role play it out. It will still use resources within the system and it, it, it becomes GM fiat for what the outcome is. But you can do that. It's a default ability everybody has. But the thing is, you have discrete actions that you can do as well that have specific effects they will have. But the specific effects are done in such a way that it's like use small talk to get some basic information from the target. You can role play this out. And if you do role play it out, you'll be able to direct the small talk to get specific information instead of more generic information. Mm-hmm. So it's the kind of thing that. In, it guides a player into doing a specific action, but it also leaves open a blank slot so that they know you can fill in blank if you want. Hmm. Hmm. That's pretty cool. Okay, so you 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 have like a distru- a discrete blank point in the rules, or how how do you yeah. how do you give the players? like how do you how do you prompt them in that mode like is it on the character sheet is it what's how how does that work depends on the specific thing so like 
in this particular goal, it's both in and out of combat. So it's like even there's some things that you're deciding based on my previous decisions outside of combat. This is what options I have. This is what I want to do in a in a limited situation based on things that I can only work with with the resources I have. And then there's the out of combat stuff, which is like I'm using combat more as anything that would replace combat. So like a stealth situation basically holds the same position as combat as in it's time sensitive and such, right? It's not training that can take weeks outside of uh, specific situations. So um, if you're picking, say, your character quirks, the things that help define your character's personality, it's very blatantly, like, just at the very top. It says, you can pick from the list, or you can write in your own. There's a pretty big list here of examples. The examples themselves are designed to be interesting enough that they give you like an idea of what you could do with this, but they're vague enough that it's clear that this does not have to be this exact specific way to do things. So the player, even the uh, specific uh, examples are more like, here's a kind of suggestion to kind of get you thinking about something in this vague direction of things. So, yeah. Hmm. Overall, I'm happy with that anyway. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Let's see what else. So, I definitely wanted an action point system for comboing attacks and ensuring players never get stuck with generic auto attacks, <laughs> which meant that there would be discrete abilities built into attacks because I did not want... Actually, this works with this, the next goal as well, which was individual weapon types and styles should feel very different and unique because one of the things that I always hated in D&D in particular when I was first learning it, but in many other games since then, was that using different weapons doesn't usually feel different in most games. It's like, this weapon has a longer range, or this weapon has slightly more damage. But especially like when there's only one action, your action is, I attack. It's like, um, okay, your your weapons all feel the same. Like an attack with a 1d8 sword is the same as an attack with a 1d8 mace. It doesn't feel different. It doesn't seem like you're doing different things with the different weapons. And that was one of the things that actually irritated me about games in general. Just a lot. So... Yeah, I definitely have gone out of my way to try to make sure that that's that each of the different weapon types feels completely different, or at least different from things that do not overlap with them. Like mm-hmm. 
using a mace, using a maul. It's a blunt weapon. There's going to be some overlap there. Right. And you should actually be able to be like, okay, I've used one of these. I kind of get the basics of how the other one works, sort of. I might not be able to use the specific details to its full advantage, but I should be able to be like, I recognize there is some similarity between between these two things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah. I think there's, yeah, there's some, sure. Sure. I mean, there's, there are games that do that. Um, you know, Riddle of Steel and the successors um, make their weapons feel quite a bit different. Um, but their weapons far more granular, uh, and and uh, more to the point, their armor is is far more granular as well. So, uh, you know, affecting hitting hitting uh, flexible armor with a blunt weapon is very different than hitting flexible armor with a with a sword. Um, but you need, you know, in order to make weapons feel different you actually they actually have to have different mechanical representations or in some way so i mean i i go the opposite direction i simplify weapons quite a bit um so i don't even draw a distinction between uh let's see I don't know, like one-handed weapon, two-handed weapon. That might be it. Yeah. I yeah. mean, that's mostly fair, too. Yeah. I I explicitly wanted combat scenes to stand out as mm-hmm. something you could visualize easily. Mm-hmm. And, like combat in most of the game systems I'd played in didn't do that. It was like they didn't make it easy to visualize it. It was totally up to the players. It's like, okay, describe what mm. you want to do. And it's like, that's total fiat on the players. Like if you, again, it's just dumping them in the middle of the ocean. What do you want to do? It's like, I don't know. I, I guess swim. Mm. I guess I want to attack the ogre with my sword because I have a sword so I hit the ogre with my sword Mm -hmm. it's like if you don't give them prompts to to imagine stuff then not only is it hard to visualize it and to understand like what's going on it's also difficult for them to build off of that to come up with new ideas because once you have like an ability that says, yeah, you slide under the ogre's legs and and hit them from behind, that gives the player like the potential for ideas. It's like, well, when I'm rolling between their legs, can I try to hamstring them while I'm going through there? Like, this is just off the top of my head, like as soon as you describe that there's an action that you're taking that's semi-discreet, like, it's 
defined as what's going on, you can picture it, then it's like, okay, then there's other things that can take place. So I, I kind of feel like you almost need to prompt that if you want combat scenes to be very personal, which is definitely what, not what you're doing wrong. Mm-hmm. So it wouldn't be a useful concept for your game. But for mine, like, I want people to be able to, like, have really interesting combat where it's like they can feel like they're almost in like a movie or they're reading like a fantasy novel or something and it's like yeah there is actually a difference between like slapping someone with like the broad side of an axe instead of like actually cutting them and I kind of want those kinds of things to be present in the system so that it's like, well, if you're using a, t- a double-edged sword, it's a lot harder to hit someone with the flat end of it because it doesn't really have a flat end that won't slip and cut them anyway. Mm-hmm. Okay. So it's actually pretty hard to hit things with the edge of a sword. <laughs> Edge alignment is 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 tough. You're actually more likely to hit something with the flat. Yeah. But if you're trying to hit something without injuring them, like you're trying to hit someone with the flat side of a sword. Oh, and not cut them? Yeah. And, yeah, that's actually kind of difficult. <laughs> if yeah, if they're at all aware or resisting, or if they move funny, yeah, they they could turn. Yeah, sure. I see what you're saying. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, or if you you just adjust your own balance just a little bit, like you hit them with the flat side, but then you slid it down just a little bit across the skin. And it's like, if it's a sharp enough sword, it's probably going to cut them anyway. Which makes it not particularly effective of a tool at, uh, you know, trying to just weaken someone or capture them. But anyway, like every little detail like that, like I actually ended up, this was not in the notes anywhere, but it was like, eventually became, I guess, part of a goal that I should actually make the weapons feel kind of like the the weapons they're based on. So if you're using a sword, it should kind of feel like if you've seen a sword used in a movie or an anime or something like that, then it should kind of feel like it's a sword instead of just generic stick that I beat things with. Like, does it do sword-specific stuff? If you use, like, some weird exotic weapon like a meteor hammer, does it feel like it's not a sword? Like, if you watch the first Kill Bill movie... There's a fight with between a sword and a meteor hammer. They they operate completely differently. Like they aren't even remotely used the same. And that is something I really wanted to stand out in my game. Yeah, I, I hear you. I mean, for me, those sorts of details are window dressing 
I like it. It's the kind of thing where I, I mean, I used to do this used to be something that I was very concerned about for sure. Like, um, but at this point, the, whatever weapon is being used is secondary to the, the story that's being told in the middle of the fight, which is whatever that story is. It's like, if, and if the, you know, one character is a stronger combatant than another, then I'm, it's more interesting to me, like how the other, how the weaker combatant might be able to win still, um, even though they have a, either a worse weapon or a, um, some other, some other disadvantage, uh, you know, and, and maybe a, maybe a straight on fight isn't, isn't good, but like, I, I like the idea of needing varied tactics. And I think if the way you do that in a game is by having a wide array of, um, strategic choices available to the players, meaning, you know, meaning the choices you make before you get into the fight. So weapon choice is generally something that you make before you get into a fight. Um, or, you know, even choice of class, I suppose, is, is a strategic choice in some sense. Um, but those sorts of things, uh, you know, if you have a wide array of strategic choices, then you're, you're allowing uh, a larger space of interactions uh you know not even even if you don't have like even if the tactics aren't necessarily all that different yeah potentially yeah i i kind of like both because Mm -hmm. i do kind of like the cinematic feel of things where it's Mm -hmm. like here's a big flashy thing that i can do i can set up like number of attacks in a row that Basically, like, I can actually do a series of actions in a row that all work together. And it's like, I did this clever thing that I can actually think of my character doing these actions in a row. And there's totally some things that you can do. Like, if you want an evasion tank, like, if you want a a rogue in my game to be a tank, they have, like, a tanking the subclass if you want them to basically be like okay hit me instead of somebody else oh you just swung your claymore at me i am now standing on the flat side of your claymore (laughs) it's like this is totally viable i like that kind of stuff it's like if you strip the if you strip out all of the tactical side of things, then you don't get those same kind of cinematic moments like that. Like you're not going to get like the big brute that's like swinging at somebody and flailing about in large, broad motions. And like this little tiny character is just basically like running over top of them. And it's almost like watching like something out of Shadow of the Colossus or something. Because uh-huh. I want that kind of thing. That that amuses me. And it's like, this is not the story of the combat, but it is its own story in its own sense. Like, it's a different type of story, and some players actually really, really enjoy that sort of thing. 
Yeah, I agree. I mean, you know, having having tactical choices be something where there's there is a depth to um to the amount of surprise you can have in a in a in in a combat list or even yeah i would say probably mostly the combat where where you are having many many game mechanics interact with each other and the combination of that can produce results that are um yeah really surprising and funny and and memorable or you know it it depends on what the players are interested in. Not every player is going to want that, but for yeah. the players who do, I want to make sure that it it's there. Like mm-hmm. it's actually one of the goals there was strong emphasis upon story fights with unique mechanics available, even from a low level, so that bosses never feel boring or just auto attack fast. Because mm-hmm. if you're going to fight a boss in particular. It should stand out as something interesting. Even if you're fighting cannon fodder like kobolds. Oh, you're you're fighting kobolds. Well, the kobolds should still do something. They shouldn't just line up like bowling pins and wait. Mm-hmm. I, in that case, kobolds in this game would count as a swarm enemy and they would basically overwhelm you. Which would be kind of terrifying because they become very powerful in very large numbers because it's like they're designed in such a way so well not cobalt specifically but you could easily build cobalt in the game with the concept that they're extremely low skilled even like a starting level one character almost guaranteed 100 percent chance to to hit them if you try 100 percent chance to not get hit if you try to evade them but you can only move so fast sure you can block any kobold's attack 100 percent. you can only move your arm so quickly when they're just piling onto and you start having like you know 20 of them clinging to your legs clearly you just need to find a tall enough table and you can solve all your problems (laughs) See, this is perfectly legitimate problem solving. That's good. <laughs> no. No, <laughs> no it isn't. <laughs> what do you mean it's not? I mean... Okay, we might have... What is legitimate? I mean legitimate in the sense that you could do this. It could potentially work. Will this actually make things... Will this have the effect that you want it to do? Because mm. I find in a lot of games, especially 3rd edition D&D was really bad for this, was anything that is not like a default attack is so heavily penalized that you may as well not bother. Like, you know, called shots, doing, like, neat things like, okay, I want to shoot like, the hat off this guy's head. Mm -hmm. So that, to intimidate him so that he doesn't want to fight anymore. And it's like, that's 
kind of fun. I'd like to see this happen. But in most games, the rules are like, okay, so you're going to need to roll like 17 plus on 3d6. Mm-hmm. So it's not happening. Probably. Right. <laughs> right. Well, I mean, that's the kind of thing. So like the the way, you know, something like that would happen in Ashes would be, um, yes, you can do that. But that's not an attack. Your try. Your goal is not to do damage. Your goal is to do something else. Um, you know, presumably to intimidate or, uh, uh, you know, whatever your goal is is what what con- what what determines. Uh, I guess determines the kind of action you need to take. Uh, it doesn't say anything about how, obviously, but uh, there's. How would I handle that? So that would probably be, I don't know. Because <laughs> it, it, it's not the kind of thing that could just be narrated as something that happens during the fight. And the outcome of something like that would be narrated as well. It just wouldn't, it's not, it wouldn't necessarily be represented mechanically. Um, if, Yeah, it just wouldn't be necessarily represented mechanically. Like, it doesn't need to... I don't represent individual shots mechanically or individual sword swings or mm. even individual actions, really, uh, mechanically. So, like, even my combats are... Um, well, it'd be a terrible idea if you did. Yeah, it would you've be. Got yeah. like, you've got, like, four... Like if you have four players and each player brought all four of their characters mm-hmm. and the enemies have like 200 units that they need to kill. So it's like mm-hmm. 200 versus 16. Um, yeah, you wouldn't no. want it. No, yeah. you don't want that. That That's exactly the wrong situation to use that. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just remembering something stupid for that I don't think anybody actually used from early editions of D D where you where it was like roll ten D ten appearing for some of the uh-huh. monsters. That was that was real. Yeah, number appearing was definitely the case. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And some of them were like that big, yeah, it was like, you know, X D six or D eight or Yeah. And if you're going to have that many units, then you need a way to deal with that many units pretty easily. And it didn't really exist in those older versions of the game. It, it's much easier to do that in, in D&D now, but yeah. I've tried to streamline that even further so that, like, yeah, if you're dealing with, like, that many enemies, it just counts as a single swarm enemy that takes up, like, an area of space. It's like, yeah, there's like 200 kobolds in this pile of kobolds. 200 kobolds in a pile of kobolds. Yes. Oh dear. That's a a very large pile of kobolds. (laughs) If I remember their size correctly, although I guess it varies wildly. Yeah. But the idea is there. In any case, um, 
I'm going to skip ahead to like a few that just stood out to me that are better goals. And they're things that very explicitly were, this is something that I want to fix in games. So this one's very clearly defining D&D. Says a spell system which rewards creative thinking and versatility for situations instead of having to guess in advance. Mm-hmm. <laughs> because obviously, I was definitely thinking of D and D at the time. Yeah, yeah. Not even, not even obvious. I, I'm, I mean, you can't defend. You, <laughs> you couldn't say you weren't, so you shouldn't. No. No, like that's that, very that obvious. Something that bugged me. Yeah, was oh, you have to know what you're going to fight before you fight it, like eight hours in advance every time. That's not always possible, and that means that like your default tool for every situation is fireball, because damage is almost always useful. Mm-hmm. And if you bring something that's interesting like oh there's a monster that you're fighting in quicksand and it can jump out of the quicksand strike at you and jump back in turning sand to stone or mud to stone would be absolutely broken Mm -hmm. I had actually encountered that in a D&D game I was playing, and that was my solution to it, and the GM was not happy with me. <laughs> <laughs> but in some games, it's like they'll coach you not to let the players do that because it basically breaks the encounter. Right. Yeah. And it's like, no, this, this is like the only situation this spell is useful. Mm-hmm. If you actually have this spell... And you use it in the situation where it's useful, then it should be useful. Otherwise, why does it even exist in the game? Yeah. there. I mean, there was a... Uh, I remember playing through an adventure at one point that was completely ruined by, like, a mind-reading spell. Because this guy was... It was pretty obvious that it was like, this guy's shady. And so the wizard goes like, I'm going to do mind-read. Which is... I don't know, like a third level spell. I think we were seventh or eighth or ninth level at the time, and it was like, oh yeah, it was cl- quite clear that that would that would fuck the adventure up. Whoa. It was, and okay, I can't so- remember what <laughs> I can't remember what the GM said at the time to be like that doesn't work, but that's what had to happen. Sorry, sorry, no, I, I'm just just back up for a minute for me. My reading someone is a third level spell that all all third level wizards can, except for the ones that specifically can't, can just read people's minds. But they're almost never going to because you'd because, have to prepare that spell in advance. You'd have a limited number of spells that. You'd yeah, oh yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. Right. Sorry. I'm, yeah. Sorry. This they is what I hate. But they're probably not going to because that would mean that they're not able to cast another fireball, which is also a third level spell. Oh, okay. (laughs) See, this is something that bugged me. And it's like, I want a spell system where if you have creative thinking and you have the tools, like 
basically it ended up being like a piece, like a modular system where it's like, okay, here's like the basic ability. Here's like all of the smaller abilities that I've learned. I can put these together in any, almost any uh, way that I want and create a spell on the spot to do exactly what I need in this situation because I already know how to do this stuff. If I know, if I'm like a master of fire spells, then, oh, there's a situation here where fire would be perfect for this. Okay, it should be possible to do something with fire in that situation then. Like, even if you hadn't thought to prepare it in advance, like, you should be like, I. it might be slower than a spell that you've practiced a whole bunch of times before. Like, it should be more efficient and guide the players to using something that they've already predefined they already have written out that has stats for it already so that the game is quicker and they're not coming up with a new spell every single time they cast the spell but if somebody has the tools they should be able to put them to use okay i have a weird question that is a sidetrack that i shouldn't do but i wanted to ask how do you define fire specialty in your magic system like it would determine someone is a good fire mage uh, it's actually pretty simple basically a what is your skill rank in fire magic as oh. a skill and <laughs> do you have skill mastery in it which will let you do more creative stuff okay I, I did I, so like the specialties are okay here's a list of uh skills that are like this type of magic and yeah okay sorry i didn't yeah. know that was in the game yeah so like this but, it comes in two parts basically so you have like if you have fire magic each skill rank has like a specific effect that it adds that you can do so like It'll give you a very specific effect, like, say, cauterize wounds, where you can heal um, a status effect at the cost of dealing some damage to an ally, for example. But then it's also like, there's also the more broad sense of, if you want to do something with fire in general, here is a vague, sort of a a rough description of how complicated the thing you're trying to do with fire would be. Like, so just look at like what skill rank does the player have and say, if you want to do a custom thing in this moment, yeah, it's probably like, you know, rank three fire thing. Sure. You can do that. That's extremely reasonable. Sorry. Get back to your million points. Sorry. <laughs> no, no, you don't have to apologize. That was entirely on me. Yeah, but, um... Oh, that was another major one at the very start. This is, um... Additional tools for new players and GMs to help create lively and interesting character designs without a lot of experience needed. And in addition to that, um... Make sure that the characters actually have a personality and that it should actually be mechanized in the game somehow. Mm -hmm. Because 
one of the things that I hated the most about D&D characters was that race and class and what is your weapon. That basically told you what the character was, except for the fact that it doesn't tell you anything about the character. Because right. like, if you ask somebody what, what character are you playing, it's like, oh, I'm playing like a drow like a level four drow fighter and they use long like a long sword it's like okay this has told me nothing about them now if you actually describe their personality is that anywhere on the character sheet anywhere at all typically not yeah so there's the kind of a big discrepancy between these two things mm-hmm. like the way D always taught you to make your character was you build a cardboard cutout to hold your sword and if you add a backstory i i guess that's a nice bonus but it's not really necessary mm-hmm. and i did not like that so mm-hmm. from the very start i wanted to make sure that system taught players and walked them through the concept of making a character that's interesting and has a personality to them and that then they pick like you know combat skills based upon their personality rather than the other way around Mm -hmm. yeah that's that's how ashes works too you start with the traits and the traits are personality traits and those those uh inform what communities you're part of and those communities inform what practices are available. And obviously you can expand out and, you know, increase your ties to communities that you want to be a part of through flashbacks. Uh, But Mm -hmm. yeah, it's definitely part of the thing. Like, yeah, the personality, the character, like the, the role playing game should allow you to explore your character's personality as it impacts the setting. Otherwise, it's not really role-playing. Like, I would go so far as to say that if you want to min-max your character, you should have to basically, you know, make an actual character. (laughs) Like, Mm -hmm. if you're... Like, oh, I'm going to make, like, the strongest character I possibly can. How do I do that? Oh, I give them, like, personality. That That's a good thing. Like, not every player wants to do that. Like, I have played with people where literally all they want to do is show up and kill things, and that's it. But... That should be supported. Yeah, it, it's possible. Yeah. Like, I... I want to build it like I did build it successfully, I think, so far in such a way that if all they want to do is show up and kill stuff, then they can do that. It's just if somebody is going to show their character's personality, it'll actually help them out, even if they're not as good at uh, min-maxing their, their damage skills otherwise. So... I'm happy with where that's actually come so far. Okay. But out of everything on the list, 
like rather than go through everything else on the list, because there's still a fair number of points, maybe 10 or so, but there's one point that stands out above everything else. And I'm kind of surprised that it's this far down on the list because it's kind of the whole reason why I started making this in the first place. It's, uh, create detailed, rich, vibrant worlds able to be introduced to players to explore beyond the base game. Specifically, I'm a world just be more uh more settings because that's what i really want to do <laughs> i mean i think that makes sense because this is like your your overall concept just can be applied to different um themes right like there's mm -hmm. there's nothing preventing you from being able to take it uh and and sort of tweak it for a different setting or genre even Oh, definitely. Like, basically, this would be something similar to GURPS in the sense that, like, each book would add, like, a different genre kind of thing. Yep. Mm -hmm. Except it's not explicitly saying, oh, this is, this is the big giant mech uh, expansion, even though it's totally the big giant mech expansion. Hmm. It's more like, here is a planet, here's like the creatures on it, here's why they wound up with the situation. So this particular one I actually have sort of planned out already, which is the uh, Kayla species in my setting. They tend to kind of do the mad scientist-y thing. Um, most of their world is not inhabitable. They decided to terraform it while still being on the planet, which is already a bad idea. Mm -hmm. That's what humans and, did too. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> they're like, okay, so we accidentally made these giant monsters. Now, the normal solution to this would be like, you know, let's just use magical nukes or something. But since they're like a hunter species that already likes to fight giant monsters that are bigger than them, they're like, cool, we just made Godzilla. You know what would be the perfect tool to deal with this? Giant robots. Powered by magic. I mean, as far as I understand it, that's the standard uh, thing to do across most multiverses. So. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> this is perfectly legitimate. It's like, we could just wipe them off the face of the planet, but wouldn't it be more fun <laughs> if we did it this other way? I think that's literally the premise of Pacific Rim. It pretty much is. Mm -hmm. There it is. But, uh, the, the problem with uh, 
dealing with the giant monsters you accidentally created with uh, heavy weapons is there are two. Uh, the first is, since this is a fantasy setting, you're probably just going to warp and mutate the, the area around them and make it things worse. The second thing is, uh, most of those do actually have some sort of negative environmental side effect. That's okay. It was uninhabitable be- to begin with, so it's no yeah, big yeah, loss. Yeah, yeah, that's not So, like, worst case scenario, we just make it back to where it was beforehand, then we have to do something else to fix it. Mm. This is a perfect setup where you can actually have giant robots fighting giant monsters, and it actually makes sense, and it doesn't actually interfere with things. It doesn't make sense. It makes sense under their rationale at the very least or you engineer the rationale so anyway uh, mm-hmm. move. do you have anything else to say anything I'm, else I actually can say for the most part not really like there's a lot of specific things that had bugged me but going through every single goal it's like honestly I don't think it's really gonna give much more detail other than the fact that there are things that have annoyed me and it mostly comes down to I want to do this and anytime I try to do it in a game like I want to be a mad engineer I want to like a character that builds like a magical flamethrower and I want this to actually be like their class and they can do stuff with it it turns out that usually doesn't work that well in most games and it kind of sucks because, like, I totally did that in Anima once, and I wound up with a character that basically became an NPC because they could create really neat things, but they had no capacity to actually use the really neat things. Mm-hmm. And the problem is, it was built in Anima itself is built in such a way that if you are not really good at using the really neat thing, regardless of what it is. Uh, If it's a combat situation and you try to use like a flamethrower on somebody, but you're not actually good at using your flamethrower, you're actually, A, not only are you almost guaranteed to miss, you are almost guaranteed to give them a free counterattack. And depending on how badly you screw up, it will actually enhance their counterattack to the point that it just got to a point where if I even tried to attack anybody, it was actually more dangerous for me to try to attack them than to do nothing. That's not fun. No, it wasn't fun. It was terrible. And I ended up having to redo the character entirely because it was like, this is not viable. I can't do this. It's not It's not only that it's not fun, it's that I can't have fun with it. Mm. At least not in combat, and there was a lot of combat in that particular game, so mm. it didn't work. So I did not want that same kind of thing to happen, so you can build and craft your own stuff. Like You don't have the issue like that always pissed me off again in D&D. Another thing that I wanted to fix was, oh, we have this family heirloom that we've had in the family for generations. This is 
like your great great grandfather's sword and it's like yay this is really amazing it's my starting weapon is really neat and unique and it's got this cultural backstory oh i found a plus two sword i guess it's going in the trash <laughs> yeah mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so that was another thing that i built the game around is you get to custom build your own equipment you get to make stuff for yourself rather than finding this ancient sword that some other king used why not custom build it to do exactly what you want right and when you slay the dragon then it gains some of the properties benefited from slaying the dragon like make the weapons actually grow alongside you so that you don't have to give up your heirloom. It's just that by the time you're t- you retire, your heirloom is even better than it had been. Mm-hmm. So there's it's just a bunch of stuff like that. Like there's there's so many different things about RPGs that bothered me that these do not make sense. There's things that I want to be able to do and I can't do. Like it is strictly not only uh, gimping myself, like restricting myself to use like my family's heirloom sword. It's like once we start fighting like magical creatures, it's like, because it's not a plus two sword, it just passes through them. It does nothing. It has no effect. Right. And that was horribly boring to me. I did Mm. not like that. So, yeah. Anyway. Sorry. <laughs> I, I mean, we did set aside time for it. But yeah. yeah no, like, <laughs> so did okay. we, do you think we uh, have discussed where we are with our game designs problems. and what we, yeah, exactly, mm-hmm. what kind of problems we see in the, the yeah. games that we're currently playing that... <laughs> Our games hopefully address. I feel like I feel like we, other than Catrice, we were the wrong people for this topic when the body suggested. <laughs> but that's, that's fine. I mean, it's frustrating that Monty wasn't able to be here for it either. Yeah, it's fine. Um, I'm, I'm sorry. I, I'm sorry. I messed up with the one thing I was trying to say. Uh, good night, everyone. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we recorded a good episode last week, so you know. And Catrice had a lot of interesting points, even if she had said several of them previously. So, yeah, I probably covered half of that in previous episodes or more. But yep, it was, it was great. Um, mm-hmm. I'm glad you guys talked about it. So, yes. Anyway, yes. good night, everyone. Good night. Good night. So, wherever you are, remember that. Thanks for listening. If you made it this far, I mean, geez. Bye. Yeah. Don't do this right. to yourself. Go, go, go to your Enjoy kitchen. Make some hot cocoa. Do it. Yeah. Or lemonade if it's summer. It's never yes, summer. It it's always be night seasons. and winter. <laughs> oh, oh, it's I always... know it is. <laughs> it's not always winter here. I, I can I can confirm that that is that that cannot possibly be true. I don't know what you're talking about. Like, well, not you, Kavar. Like you, yeah, you're right, but. For Rob, it's like you're not even Canadian. No, 
I know. So why are you like, it's always winter? Because <laughs> where you are in the podcast land, it's winter and it's dark at night. But night. I know for a fact it is sometimes fall during this podcast, so that's not true. Mm. <laughs> it's categorically mm. not true. I'm sorry. Mm. So okay. probably mm. bitch about Reheat at some point, so let's you know <laughs> interfere with that as well. Yes, this is the show where we overthink everything, even our closing comments. <laughs> Just even the stupid dumb joke closing comment. <laughs> Good night, everyone. Good night. Good night. Click it. Click. I click it. The recording though. It was off. It was off. It was two hours and two seconds. Darn. Um, You should probably take the recording bots out. Yeah. I'm doing it. Eventually. (laughs) Well, I want to talk about something and I want to wait for the. I didn't want to. I didn't like that. Leave.